Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, August 9th, 2016. Shaping up to be a busy week here in North Dakota. Pirate Christian Radio Conference at the end of the week. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage, and I mean that, no shortage of really crazy, bizarre things being said uh, about God, what we're supposed to believe about him, what he does, what he's about, uh, it, <laughs> doctrines that have never existed before in the history of of the Christian church have all of a sudden started cropping up like weeds. That's what they are, by the way. They are weeds. And, uh, and they seem to have overcome the church. We do a little bit of, um, well, let's see, herbicidal uh, discernment work here at Fighting for the Faith, you know, helping you identify true, sound, biblical doctrine as opposed to stuff that supposedly looks like... It doesn't even look like it anymore. I mean, it, it's weird. that It's like the heretics aren't even trying all that hard. Although, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we... we <laughs> I'm cracking up. Today's episode, we will have people really trying to make this look like it's uh, biblical teaching. So this is like uh, the biblical uh, game of Twister going on here today. They, they've got the Bible out. They're going to try to make references to Scripture and, and ultimately really fall short. Um, yeah, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So Vonda, the nagging prophetess, and you have to spell prophetess with an F, not a PH. Yeah, the nagging prophetess. Uh, Vonda the Nagging Prophetess, well, (laughs) the Republican Party didn't dump Donald Trump. Can you believe it? I mean, there's a shock. Uh, They didn't dump him at the Republican National Convention. And so Vonda has decided to double down on the dump Trump prophecy. And uh, she's given a specific date as to when the... um, the Republican Party will dump Trump and who the, the the actual presidential candidate will be, who his running mate is. So we have a date and all of this kind of stuff. And she's claiming this is all coming from God, the Holy Spirit, who she really wants to have all the glory, all the credit so that people will sit there and go, wow, there really is a God. Because you see that 
people won't become Christians and make decisions for Jesus, which, by the way, is not how people become Christians. They won't make decisions for Jesus until you demonstrate him with power. And so Vonda has bought into that false gospel of the kingdom concept. So we'll talk about that. Then we have a Perry Stone update. Fascinating teaching. Uh, the uh, teaching is titled Hearing God's Voice in the Early Hours. And um, he engages in a very subtle, well, it's not even subtle, but more kind of an elaborate is a good way to put it, a twisting of God's word uh, to come up with this teaching. And uh, and then we've got a Jim Baker update. Jim Baker. Uh, from time to time, <laughs> from time to time, Jim Baker actually sets up a pulpit at his Grace Street uh, Prepper Supply uh, Warehouse. That's the best way I could describe his television studio. And uh, and he attempts to preach. Now the. <laughs> The name of the this is so weird. The name of the sermon that we will be listening to from Jim Baker is titled "Wound Liquors of the Leviathan Spirit." <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have a hard time pulling myself together for this. So we're we're going to listen to the sermon in its entirety. It's only nine minutes long, but we'll we'll note what he's doing. Somewhere in there, you know, wherever the break falls, we'll take a break. And I'm not even sure how today's episode is going to work break-wise. Uh, as we get close to the Pirate Christian Radio uh, convention, um, uh, con- convention, conference, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. As we get closer to the Pirate Christian Radio conference, uh, you know, the time necessary to theme every episode, which, by the way, is what we try to do here, is it's a little bit challenging and uh, and so you know i'm i'm you know multitasking this week but anyway the so we got uh, the wound lickers of the leviathan spirit that's the jim baker segment and then in uh, the uh, the final segment of the program which will be our hour 2 uh we're going to head back to audacious church as we listen to paul reed uh preach a sermon titled adventure awaits again and li- listen you you don't want this <laughs> You just don't want to miss the sermon review. So here's kind of the idea on this particular sermon review, is that if you believe in the dream destiny thingy doctrine, which is not what the Bible teaches at all, that, you know, oh, Christianity, not only do you is are your sins forgiven, but now you, God's going to give you a dream destiny thingy for you to fulfill. Um, if you believe that God gives dream destiny thingies and that this is all integral, an integral part of of Christianity, then what's going to happen is you're gonna run, you're gonna have a problem with Scripture, okay? And the reason why is because you'll note the fact that that God does choose, God does elect certain people for very important tasks in the Old Testament as well as the New, and then you've got everybody else. I mean, kind of think of it this way: I mean, sixty-six books in the Bible, right? How many authors? 40-ish, somewhere in there. Depends on who you think wrote Hebrews. But uh, but see, you think about that, can, can, and then in the grand scheme of things, how many billions of people have lived since the world was created? Yeah, so, so you kind of have to kind of think of it this way. In the Bible, we actually have instances of people who were not chosen. Yeah, they were not chosen. So... <laughs> What <laughs> Paul Reed is 
going to do here is he's going to start off in the book of Acts where, you know, the, the replacement for the apostle Judas who betrayed Christ is chosen. This is in Acts chapter 1. And Paul Reed's going to note the fact that the, the, one of the guys was chosen, but the other guy wasn't. What do you do when God doesn't choose you? What do you do? <laughs> and so he's then going to go into the book of Daniel and totally botch it. I mean, the best way I could put it is botch it. And he's going to twist the, the opening chapters of the book of Daniel to fit his newly discovered doctrine of adventure awaits again. So if you know if you, if you were sitting there going, "Oh God, pick me, pick me for this dream destiny thing, for this adventure that you want me to go on," and then God doesn't choose you, He chooses somebody else. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? How 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 do you live your Christian life when God doesn't pick you for an adventure? He picks somebody else to have that adventure and fulfill a particular dream destiny thingy. And so we're gonna listen. It's just awful. It, uh, that's the best way I could put it. So that's today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bell, a ball, roll a bell, a ball, sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts here, folks. So, Vonda, the nagging prophetess, you have to spell prophetess with an F, not a PH. Yeah, that's right. She has uh, doubled down on her dump Trump prophecy. And uh, so, we're going to head over to uh, Heart Hope Ministries' YouTube channel as Vonda explains to us how God the Holy Spirit is has revealed to her the date when, well, the Republican Party will dump Trump. Here is Vonda to explain. Let's get on to the word of the Lord for Donald Trump. Um, many of you know out there that I have um, had the awesome honor of the Holy Spirit to share with you that Donald Trump would be a throwaway. Um, I have shared with you um, who would be his replacement. That would be Jeb Bush. Um, he is going to be the replacement. And God has shared with me that George Prescott Bush is going to be his VP pick. So the Holy Spirit has been on the move. He has been making declaration after declaration after declaration in this um, this ministry to bring it to you. Now, I bring it to you because I want God to be able to show off. I could very easily keep this to myself and just say... You want God to be able to show off. Now, by the way, this is a part and parcel of the false doctrine known as the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom works with this idea that, well, um, 
in order for for Christianity to be compelling for a non-believer, well, then you have to demonstrate the power of the kingdom through miracles and prophecies and stuff like that. Apparently, preaching the gospel just isn't enough. And so, in order for this all to really work properly, then what has to happen is you need to be able to wow the um, the the unbeliever with like signs wonders prophecies visions and and stuff that they, they sit there and go well that clearly has to be god therefore i'm going to bend the knee to jesus and and submit and yield myself to him and his power because well you know there's no other explanation for what it is that i have experienced then god is with you and god is doing things among you and so this is what Vonda is buying into and teaching. We continue. Well, I knew, but I don't want to do that. I want God to get so much adoration, and I want people to be so impressed with the voice of the Holy Spirit that he's speaking today in modern times, today in this time about this U.S. election, that he is speaking, that he knows the future, and he has chosen me, and I am not going to be shy, and I am going to declare yeah, no, Vonda, God hasn't chosen you. You're not really a prophetess. Uh, and so here we go. On um, September the 10th is when Donald Trump will be dumped. All right, you heard it here at Fighting for the Faith, folks. On September 10th, we will be able to definitively declare that Vonda the nagging prophetess is a false prophet. Yeah, because she's doubled down. You know, she's totally botched it, you know, the first time. And so now she's doubling down. I mean, I mean, after all, the election's not over yet. There's still time to get rid of Trump. September the 10th, 2016, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision, a night vision dream last night. And in the dream, um, I was watching um, a bunch of older men sit around and it was like they were at a convention. I'm not saying it was a convention, but it was like they were at a convention and they were stomping their feet. Like you would at a basketball game. And, and overwhelmingly, I heard this chant, Dump Trump! Dump Trump! And, and one of the old politicians would, <coughs> Dump Trump! <laughs> Dump Trump! Like he didn't want to be seen as the one saying, Dump Trump. And um, it was an overwhelming chant. And then in the next vision, in the night vision dream, I was showing George Prescott Bush a picture, uh, excuse me, a paper. And I said, um, Donald Trump will be dumped on September the 10th, and it will be after a Super Tuesday. And after a Super Tuesday? Super Tuesday is a primary election term, not a presidential election term, at least not after the, the candidates have been selected. That prophecy doesn't make any sense. And so um, that's the word of the Lord. And... Um, no, it's not Vonda. That's the word of Vonda and Vonda's weird ideas. Or worse, it's a demonic revelation. It's not from God. To God be the glory. Um, Donald Trump will be a... Th God doesn't get glorified by false prophetesses. Throw away. I had the sense in the dream, the prophetic night vision dream, that it was as if they had met one day before... And this was happening on the second day. Now, I'm not declaring that, thus saith the Lord. Um, but that was the feeling of it. But I am declaring, thus saith the Lord, that Donald Trump will not quit. He will be a throwaway. He will be um, rejected 
and Jeb Bush will be in his place, and it will happen as far as Donald Trump being a throwaway on September the 10th of 2016. So, um, to God. Yeah, wait till you get to the part where she, well, explains what the consequences are if she gets this wrong be the glory and uh i'm here to prophesy that to you today and uh when it comes true don't thank me thank the holy spirit and tell all your friends about <laughs> thank the, the holy spirit uh no no yeah you're going to have to repent and basically shut down your youtube channel vonda how awesome the holy spirit is tell all your friends about how wonderful relationship with jesus is tell all your friends that through jesus christ not only do you have salvation in eternal life with him see not it's it's like christian it's like salvation plus yeah, not only do you have salvation, well, now you have direct revelation, signs and wonders. You have salvation plus, salvation plus purpose, dream destiny, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's it's not that they're denying what scripture says Christianity is. It's just they want to add their own thing, you know. Save from the damnation of hell, but tell all your friends that you know the future because the Holy Spirit revealed the future to you. Yeah, no, uh, Vonda. God the Holy Spirit does not turn people into uh, the Christian version of psychics. And uh, that's what God's doing. God is revealing the future. Some of you out there might be criticizing. I am not a psychic. I am operating in a prophetic voice. No, really, you're not. You're fooling yourself here, Vonda. A prophetic calling of the Lord. And God is a big God. He told Daniel, which... How big is he? I mean, is he bigger than a bread box? Is he bigger than a... How, how, how big exactly is God? You see, that's a statement that people say. Well, you, 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 Chris, I mean, obviously, your God is really small. And uh, you, you got to understand that God is bigger. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Yeah, bigger is kind of a function of volume and things like that. I mean, there are times in my life where I have been bigger than uh, at other times in my life. And, <laughs> yeah, see, this is not a matter of volume. I'm sorry, bigger doesn't make any sense. Oh, God is big. He's a big God, yeah. Well, yeah, God is omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. This is absolutely true about God. The issue here has nothing to do with God's omnipotence or his omniscience or what he's capable of doing. In fact, God is capable of you know, creating the universe in six literal 24-hour solar days, which is what he did, by the way. Um, and then he's going to remake the new heavens, new earth in one day. You know, he's going to top himself, if you would, uh, in what's coming. But see, what God's capable of doing is kind of irrelevant here, or how big he is is totally off topic. The question is, is Vonda Brewer actually speaking the word of God? Is she really truly a prophet or not and we've already demonstrated through her false teaching false prophecies she ain't no prophet she ain't hearing from god and it doesn't matter how big god is she ain't actually hearing from that big god which kingdoms would rule after nebuchadnezzar and they ruled after nebuchadnezzar in the exact order that daniel prophesied it god told abraham by this time next year you'll have so notice what she's doing she's now appealing to well see in scripture god spoke to daniel god spoke to abraham 
yeah, we know that God spoke to Daniel. We know that God spoke to Abraham. The problem is, Vonda, God ain't speaking to you. Have a son. By that time next year, Abraham had a son. And uh, Jesus said, in three days, I'll tear down the temple. The temple will be torn down and it'll be built back up again. They thought he was talking about uh, a regular temple. Jesus was prophesying about his body. His body would die and resurrect again in three days. And so there's prophecies all about in the Bible. There's timing everywhere, Um, you know, but... um, yeah. yeah, there is, but you ain't Daniel, you ain't Abraham, you're definitely not Jesus, and it's clear that you're not even really hearing from him. You have to, you have to go with what God tells you. You can't just make up things. Which is what you're doing, Vonda. You have to declare what the Spirit of the Lord is declaring. Yeah, no, the Spirit of the Lord isn't declaring any of this nonsense about Trump, Vonda. And when you declare what the Spirit of the Lord is declaring, you're never wrong. You're never wrong. In your particular case, you're wrong because you're not declaring what the Spirit of the Lord is saying or has said. In this dream that I had, it was not heavy in symbolism. It was... Um, everybody was who they were, you know, it was, the I didn't, I, I couldn't see whether they were Republican or Democrats that were the overwhelming chant because God did not have the, the convention type looking scene, stadium seating, uh, in red or blue. It could be both Democrats and Republicans that will have an overwhelming chant in the earth, uh, declaring that Trump should be dumped and um, whether God uses an actual convention center for it to happen or whether he uses the news media and, you know, the Republican Party doing it on their own. Uh, I'm under the understanding that um, uh, the news media is talking now about um, a replacement for Trump, uh, several of the news stations, Fox News and CNN, but they're questioning whether he will quit or not. And um, they're not really considering, uh, somebody did consider yesterday that um, it could be unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented that they would throw him away. But um, if it was possible, they would have to do it uh, before they were going to put a replacement in there. They were going to have to do it before um, early September. That would be as late as they could wait. And so I've been pondering this on my heart. And um, God gave me the date, and the date... No, he didn't. September the 10th is early September. So I believe they'll um, be talking about it all up before then. And if they do have another convention, talk about it. Uh, maybe do the votes on the 9th if they have the convention and actually do the deed on the 10th. But nevertheless, that's the date God gave me. And I've had this confirmed um, by another um, uh, prophet of the Lord. You've had it confirmed. Well, I mean, if you've had it confirmed by another prophet, I mean, <laughs> well, my apologies. And so um, I came to you guys less with less confirmation on um, Barack being uh, reelected back in 2012. So, um, you know, I'm stepping out there and I'm being bold for the Lord because he was bold for us when he went to. Oh, yeah. Uh, See, Jesus was bold for us. So she's being just bold like Jesus was bold. You know, I mean, she's so pious and religious and stuff like that. She's a false prophet.
Calvary and he faced the enemy and he died on the cross and he shed his blood. He most certainly did, but appealing to that isn't going to help your case. You are still a false prophet and you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit or from Jesus. And he paid the price for our sin and our transgressions and our sufferings. And he stepped out there and he was forsaken by God the Father. My Lord, my Lord, why have thou forsaken me? And um, he took upon sin. He became sin for us so that we might inherit eternal salvation. So if Jesus can be bold, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I gave my life to him. I dedicated my life to him. I told him I'd do what he wants me to do, say what he wants me to say, go. Yeah, if you were doing that, you wouldn't be saying any of this stuff. God doesn't want you to say a word of it. None of it's from him. Where he wants me to go, declare what he wants me to declare. And uh, I've told you guys before, if I have to come back and eat crow and say I'm sorry, hey, I'll do it. I'm- uh, yeah, no, that's not the penalty for a false prophet. Yeah, in the Old Testament, uh, if somebody prophesies falsely, um, the penalty was death. Um, Now, I'm not advocating that for Vonda, but uh, eating crow isn't the solution here. Vonda, when it is absolutely definitively demonstrated that you is a false prophetess, because that's what you is, um, you need to fold up your YouTube channel and you need to stop giving words of the Lord. Just eating crow is not sufficient. You need to go away. And nobody needs to listen to you. And you need to refund every single penny that you have manipulated out of people uh, and give it back to them and, and demonstrate your repentance by saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I was not hearing from God, here's your money back, and you need to go away and you need to go find a real church that teaches the real gospel and preaches the real Bible And you need to sit silently there for pretty much the rest of your life. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go and tell people about Jesus and sound doctrine, but you need to totally lose this I'm hearing from the word of the Lord kind of stuff uh, because you ain't. Human, but nevertheless, um, I don't believe I'm going to have to come back and eat crow on this because. Uh, Yeah, no, you need to go away. Let me back it up. And so here's what she thinks the consequences of false prophecy are for her. And uh, I've told you guys before, if I have to come back and eat crow and say, I'm sorry, hey, I'll do it. I'm human. But nevertheless. Yeah, you're saying that you're hearing from God, the Holy Spirit. God doesn't stutter. God isn't human. God doesn't lie. Um, I don't believe I'm going to have to come back and eat crow on this because there's just been too much that God has shown me. And so I'm declaring today by the word of the Lord um, that Donald Trump will be a throwaway on September the 10th, 2016 by the word of the Lord. Yeah, by the word of the Lord. She's blaspheming now. That's exactly what that sin is. She's taking God's name in vain. She's hijacked the holy name of God to slap onto her false prophecies. And she thinks that the consequence for getting this wrong is to, well, you know, just eat crow. No, really, it's not. This is very serious, Vonda. You have to understand that the one you are sinning against by saying these words is God himself. Who's going to mediate between you and God in this? You need to repent. You need to repent. You are not hearing from God. You are hearing your your own thoughts, the, the weird ideas of your own heart and mind. You are not hearing the holy voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Something to think about. All right, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have a Perry Stone update and a Jim Baker sermon titled Wound Lickers of the Leviathan Spirit. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. large non-fat decaf mocha with no whipped cream two pumps of chocolate and diet soy milk for tiffany oh actually it's just tiff oh uh sorry uh, tiff then like thank you so much i've never made a drink quite like this before i can't even imagine what you call it my friends call it like the why bother but it sure doesn't stop me from loving it <laughs> Nice talking with you. Adios. I am so sorry about that. Anyway, where was I? All right, so you won't believe what happened to me on Sunday. So, like, you know how I've been trying to learn more about Jesus and God and stuff? Well, ever since I got into it, my friend Brittany has been begging me to go to her church. It's that big building on Michigan Street... It's got, like, a stage and a praise band. I mean, it's got, like, a ton of people, so the pastor must be pretty cool, right? Well, the sermon starts. I've got my Bible, my notebook, my pocket catechism, and my flower pen. All ready to hear about God. And what does he talk about? A bird. This guy went on some 20-minute bunny trail about a bluebird that landed on his windowsill. And I'm just sitting there like, what about Jesus? I mean, they had just had a laser light show about how much they loved him. Um, Hold that thought. I have to use the little girl's room. I'll be back in a sec. So Jeff said, wrecked him, wrecked him. You practically killed him. (laughs) Oh, I am so sorry. I've accidentally dumped my white bother all over you. Your outfit is totally ruined. Here, let me use these only slightly absorbent napkins to wipe it up for you. All right, use that. A little bit there. And, uh, there. That seems to have gotten most, most of it. Here's my business card that the stains don't come out. I happen to own and run a dry cleaner's just down the road. Anyway, gotta run. Oh, I 
think these people realize what Jesus did. Let me explain this to you. So, first of all, I'm like a sinner, and I need forgiveness, right? So God was like, I'm going to send my son. So Jesus came, and he got on the cross, and everybody's sins were forgiven, and we were all like, cool. So when I go to church, I want to hear about Jesus. But for some reason, these people don't even talk about Jesus. You know, if you think about it, the church is like totally God's house. So Jesus invited all of us to his forgiveness party, and we all shut up and said that we loved him, and then we completely ignore him. That is so rude. Not only is it rude to God, but it's a total ripoff for me. I want to hear about how my sins are forgiven. But instead, these people are like, let me tell you my life story. Um, excuse you. You think that your birds are more important than God? That is so rude. Honey, what happened to your shirt? Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anyusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all the people out there claiming to be hearing direct revelation from God are not. Yeah, they are prophets and prophetesses with an F, not a PH. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a, it is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Our lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at twenty four ninety five. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. 
Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It helps give us a solid financial foundation where we can budget properly, pay our bills, and plan our next expansion. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> But uh, you get the idea. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. Shoulders is sort of loose, and I ain't got sense. God gave a goose, Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is so loose, and I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. That's right. Leroy Pullins and I'm a nut. Now, this is a fascinating Bible twist that we're going to be hearing from Perry Stone. Perry Stone, the name of the message is titled, uh, The um, Hearing God's Voice in the Early Hours. Apparently, he has discovered that in the Bible... We can hear God's voice at, well, you know, particular times of the day. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but uh, those times of the day would be like between three in the morning and six in the morning. The most important, when God visits the earth, apparently. Uh, here's Perry Stone to intro this important Bible twisting that he's about to present. Here we go. Manifest, I'm going to be giving you a word on hearing the voice of God in the early morning hours between three and six o'clock in the morning. I did not know that that's when the best reception is for hearing God's voice. And I have a picture which was signed by, uh, before he became president, George W. Bush, of him and I at the Western Wall. He was praying, and I was saying something to him based on a word I heard early in the morning. And I'm going to be telling you about that in the message today. A as we word that he heard early in the morning. So the question is, Maybe that's the problem that uh, Vonda Brewer, she had the dump Trump prophecy came <gasps> as a vision in the night rather than the. See, that's the problem. See, poor Vonda, if only she had waited to hear God's voice until three in the morning, you know, she may be able to be a little bit more accurate in her prophecies with an F, you know. Talk about hearing God's voice in the early hours of the morning. All right. So then he goes in. Yeah, then we've got to go through the. Um, the intro section of the uh, of the program itself. We'll fast forward. Here's Perry Stone again. To manifest, we've got an exciting teaching for you today. Woo! I'm with a very special group of young people called Remnant. They are our youth ministry at Omega Center International. They're our dance and drama team, and they get loud sometimes. You got to watch them. They get loud. <laughs> okay, airtime's expensive. Let's shut up now. Here we got to preach. No, they're, they're yeah, I think you meant that kids, and I wanted them to hear this teaching and be a part of our audience. Now, I'm going to be uh, reading to you Job 33, 15 through 18. Job 33, 15 through 18. Now, in order to, we're going to kind of, we're, we're going to preempt him here. We're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are, 
context, context, and context. Now, here's the question. If we were to put this back in context, Job 33, 15 through 18. Is Job 33, 15 through 18, from a good translation of the uh, Hebrew Scriptures here, going to teach us that important doctrine that God speaks to us. God visits us at, from 3 in the morning till 6 in the morning. This is a great time for us to receive prophecies, dreams, visions, things like that from God. Mm-hmm. Well, let's pay attention to what's going on here. Job 33, and this is Elihu, Elihu speaking, and uh, here's what he says to Job. Now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all of my words. Notice I'm in verse 1. Behold, I open my mouth, and the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I, too, was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely... You have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure without transgression. I am clean. There is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all of my paths. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when a deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choices his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand to declare to man what is right uh, for him. And he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become uh, fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Now, let me kind of paraphrase what's going on here. Elihu is telling Job, listen, 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 Job, God does answer man. And so Elihu is actually speaking pretty wise counsel here. He says, God does answer man. God speaks to man in many different ways. And this is kind of his argument. He, you know, And so he's talking about how God speaks to us in law and gospel and how you know, back in the days of Job, and many scholars actually argue that Job is probably the oldest of the biblical books. I know that seems kind of weird, but uh, it's fascinating to when you read the Hebrew. Very polished ancient Hebrew. It's very difficult to translate. But but the idea going on here is is that you know God he, he noticed that that God gives dreams and visions in order to convict a person of his wrongdoing of his sin 
to turn him away from them. And God speaks in a way that he is rebuked with pain in his bed. So now he says another way that God speaks is by the fact that people suffer with illnesses and things like that. All of these are ways in which God speaks through the law in order to turn men from their sin and seek for one who has ransomed them so that their sins are not held against them. Notice here, Elihu is speaking law and gospel. The point that he's making is not that, oh, wow, you know, listen, the best time to hear the voice of God is between three and at three in the morning and six in the morning. That's not what's going on here. In fact, what Elihu is speaking really makes sense in light of law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And there's a direct correlation back to the gospel itself, how we're looking for one who has redeemed us and ransomed us from the pit, the pit of hell in this particular case. Sheol in the Hebrew is the way it's uh, spoken there in the Hebrew. But you get the idea. I mean, this is a a fascinating passage, really chock full of good doctrine and theology. And what... Perry Stone is focusing in on is kind of like missing the whole point, but that's the point. He's now engaging what's called proof texting. He's ignoring the context so that he can find some biblical text that looks like uh, when you rip it out of context that the appearance is that it's supporting the, the teaching that he wants to give. He ignores all the other stuff so that he can hijack that passage and make it about what he wants to make it about. And then he's going to proof text by pulling in other passages. So we continue now with what Perry Stone was saying. We continue. Said, in a dream in the vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men in the slumberings of their bed, then he, speaking of God, opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he may withdraw men from his purpose, keep his soul from the pit and his life from perishing from the sword. Now, this really impressed me when I read this because it talks about how God opens the ears when men are slumbering on their bed, meaning when they go into deep sleep. Three things about Job. Chapter 33. Number one, he says that God will seal their instructions. Now, the Hebrew word seal instructions there uh, is the word for an admonition or some form of direction. So here's what it's saying. God will seal their direction in the night hours. Number two, it says this, that God will turn the person from their own direction. If you're Yeah, when you read it in the ESV, it's clear that the uh, the purpose of these types of visitations by God are for the purposes of convicting somebody of their sin to turn them from their sin. The wise men were going a certain way back to Jerusalem, and a dream came, and God said, don't go back that way, your life is in danger. So what did God do? He changed their direction to preserve them, and it says to give a warning of danger to preserve them from the pit and their life from perishing perishing from the sword. The pit is eternal damnation without God. Right. Again, you'll notice here that the purpose of the revelation and then the second revelation is the pain and suffering that somebody goes through. It's a form of the law to convict them of their sin and cause them to repent. A sword, of course, means trouble or danger. It can, it can mean war. Uh, for example, Joseph was planning on living in Bethlehem, and the Lord said to him in a dream, go to Egypt to protect the mother and the child. And he did so until Herod died, because we know that Herod planned on killing all the infants. Now notice the allusion here to uh, Jesus' earthly father, not biological father, but 
um, you know, is designed now to start to weave in other passages and say, see, see, God's speaking in the middle of the night. Oh, that's the, oh man, he's going to talk to you from three o'clock until six o'clock. Uh, not just in Bethlehem, but in a place called Ramah, which was a district of about a 10-mile radius of Bethlehem, which Herod did according to Matthew's gospel. So Job tells us that God visits us in the slumberings in our bed, and then he opens up our ears. I love that part where it says he opens our ears. And a lot of times this visitation will happen in the early hours of the morning. Now there's four references I want to give you here to the morning and help you to see something. First of all, Jacob in Genesis. Yeah, no, Job wasn't saying that oftentimes this happens in the morning. You're making that up. He says that he wrestled a man till the breaking of day, meaning that the wrestling took pa- uh, took place before sunrise. Then it says that David said, early will I seek you and I will awake early. Psalms 57, 8, 6. So now he's proof texting. So he's twisted Job 33 out of context. Now we're pulling in other verses out of context in order to create the doctrine that God will speak to us more, more most likely in the early hours. And, and if you're seeking God, uh, you know, a, a, a direct revelation from God, between 3 and 6 in the morning, probably a good idea. This is not taught in Scripture. If it were taught in Scripture, he'd be able to go to a passage that explicitly teaches this, but no, there is no passage that does teach this. 178.34. David mentions arising early to seek the Lord. Then Christ, it says in Mark 135, rose a great while before day. That means before sunrise in order to pray. And one of my favorite verses. Yeah, it doesn't say anything. It says in order to pray. Prasukamai, the word for prayer, means to make petitions to God. It doesn't say anything about receiving direct revelation. Matthew 14, uh, 25, that says Jesus at the fourth watch of the night came to them walking on the water. Now, in the Roman time... Yes, okay, so Jesus comes at the fourth watch of the night walking on the water. How on earth does that support this idea that the best time to hear the voice of God is between three and six in the morning? What are you talking about? Uh, the time frames were divided up into what was called watches. And so you have the first, second, third, and fourth watch. The fourth watch began at three o'clock in the morning and concluded about six o'clock when the sun was breaking across the Lake of Galilee. Uh, so Jesus literally was up praying and came walking on the water somewhere between three to six because the, in, on the Sea of Galilee, the fishermen fish at night so that the fish can't see and they get caught in the nets and that's, they do their fishing at night. You don't see too much fishing in the, uh, the Sea of Galilee during the day because it's warm and the fish go deeper to stay cool in the water. So having said that, let me talk to you for a minute about the idea of the fourth watch. Now, the fourth watch um, is interesting because I was with a rabbi in Jerusalem years ago, young people, and he brought this up. I've never forgot this. He brought this this subject up of about why that the rabbis uh, that are mystics, that means they believe in mysticism, they, they believe in the... So now we find the true source of this doctrine. It's not the Bible. It's Jewish mystics. That's the real source of this teaching. 
mysteries of God, the mysteries of God's names, etc. They get up a couple hours before sunrise and they pray. And I said, why is that so? And he said, we keep a calendar in Jerusalem so many hours before the sun rises every day. And we're praying. And I said, well, is there a reason? Now, this was so interesting. He said, it is our belief, but based on traditions and certain scripture, that God visits the earth between three to six in the morning. And the reason he does is people are in bed. People are asleep. You're, you're, everything is calm. Everything is quiet. And he said, God visits it. And if you happen to be up at the time when God is visiting in that part of the world, you will receive a revelation, inspiration, or a word from God. And I can tell you something that how many of you here, let's do a little study here by the showing of hands. How many of you have ever uh, awoken at three o'clock in the morning, right on the dot? Raise your hand. You've had it happen. Okay. We've got over half the group here. What about over here? Three o'clock. You just look at the clock. Isn't that true? Three o'clock. Now, there's there's several reasons why people say that they that you can awaken at three in the morning. Some say it's because the chemicals of the body biologically are repreparing you for another day and you get a certain uh, jolt of energy. Well, you know, if you go to bed at, at 12 and 1 in the morning or 9, how do you know, how does your body know it's 3 in the morning? That's my question. But I believe there is a real supernatural connection here to the significance of God visiting in the slumberings of your bed with visions and dreams and what I call his voice. Yeah, what Perry Stone calls God's voice. Again, this isn't a biblical teaching. The source of this is Jewish mystics and Perry Stone is trying to find a way to weave this into a Christian doctrine. And the reality is, in order to do that, he has had to twist God's word. And twist it badly, I might add. And so this is not how, um, this is not how Christian theology is done. You don't sit there and, uh, you know, talk to Jewish mystics and say, and go, wow, well, you know, Christi- you know, before Christianity there was Judaism, and uh, and therefore the way we um, the way we, what they believed prior to you know Christianity well that that's got to have some bearing on Christianity right wrong you have to understand that the Pharisees they were not Orthodox they were not uh, true Jews they were false teachers they were people who had created their own man-made doctrines. And this idea of somehow, well, it's uh, Jewish mystics. I mean, they believe in Yahweh, so their ideas and their traditions, uh, that they're completely compatible with Christianity. No, they are not. If they were, they would be able to be grounded in the clear, explicit teachings of God's word without engaging in Bible twisting. I think you get the point. Moving along. Oh, yeah, time for a Jim Baker update. We use uh, William Tapley's Doom and Gloom for that. Doom and Gloom, coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and Gloom, God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Soon, rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Bum, 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 bum. All right, we're heading over to the Jim Baker show out there at Grace Street. And uh, yeah, Grace Street, the uh, the 
the greatest purveyors of really schlocky um, prepper supplies ever, you know, premium prepper supplies designed to uh, make Jim Baker an extremely wealthy man. And uh, from time to time, he has a pulpit wheeled in there at Gray Street, and he does some preaching. He, he does some preaching. So we're going to be listening to Jim Baker do some preaching, and the name of the sermon is The Wound Lickers of the Leviathan Spirit. That's right. <laughs> We will, we will be in the book of Job again. Just stay tuned. Here, here we go. Job 41, 1, please. All right, Job 41, verse 1. We're going to go through the as quickly as I can the 12 things about Leviathan. Job 41, 1. 41.1. It says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you? I mean, will he talk to you even humbly and earnest and petition? All right, now we're gonna we're gonna preempt him here. Now, what is going on there in Job forty-one? I mean, we saw the word Leviathan. What is the referent? What is it rever- referring to? Is it referring to a demonic spirit? Is Leviathan part of the demonic? Horde is Leviathan one of the generals in in the devil's army? Uh, no, that's actually not what's going on there. And we'll, we'll do our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. They are context, context, and yeah, that's right, the third one, context. So we're in Job chapter 40. In Job chapter 40, God finally speaks to Job, and there is quite a storm, a weather event that goes along with this, and God finally speaks to Job. And watch what happens. Job chapter 40, verse 1. So Yahweh said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered Yahweh and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will also acknowledge to you that you own, that your own right hand can save you. Behold, behemoth. 
which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar and the sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. Now here's the question. What's the reference for behemoth? Well, it's some kind of an animal. Yeah, I liked, uh, no joke, I like to think of Behemoth, well, like uh, a, a brontosaurus. I think that might be what's going on here. Okay, behold Behemoth, right? He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food to him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus trees cover him and the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Now, what is Leviathan? It may be a whale. We're not exactly sure. But God is referencing very large I mean, ginormous creatures in his creation that Job is aware of. You know, these animals may be extinct today. So the referent may not, we may not know what they are. But these are animals that God has created. This is not, Leviathan in Job 41 is not referencing a demonic spirit. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you in soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one who is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Ah, so now you got the idea. God is speaking to Job. God has not done anything wrong, and Job has spoken well foolishly, and God is reminding him of that. So the behemoth and the leviathan are both mentioned in this discourse where God is speaking to Job. And, well, it's not, God isn't speaking about a um, demonic spirit. But watch where Jim Baker goes. Hope you're sitting down. Will he speak softly to you? So the number one thing that the Leviathan does is the spirit of Leviathan will keep you from your God-given goals. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) No. Yeah, no, this is not what this text says at all. I mean, it's like just simply reading this in context will clear this one up. He is so active that every new project I try to start, even here, Leviathan comes to stop it. 
Oh, wow. I mean, does it get really wet there? I mean, wow. I mean, how does Leviathan get there? Does the ocean expand all the way up into Missouri so he can swim on up there? What are you talking about? And Leviathan spirit gets in people. Like- yeah, when the Leviathan spirit gets in a person, they begin to smell like rotting fish, apparently, you know. People had to say, Jim, I don't think you should build the guard shack. The Bible says, whosoever will may come, so you should just let everybody come. Stop twisting scripture. Amen. <laughs> so, Jim Baker, stop twisting scripture. While he's twisting scripture. What a mess. Talk about the blind leading the blind. Salvation. Not coming to kill you. (laughs) Twisted scriptures come from the twisted serpent Leviathan. All right. Well, then we all know where you're getting this doctrine from. Okay, clearly not getting it from God. So number one, write it down. Number one, the Spirit will keep you from your God-given goals. Let's read this in the Living Bible. Job 41.3. Will he beg you to desist or to try to flatter you from your intentions? It seeks out people who have been hurt. This is important. I should be teaching a school course that you're writing notes and taking it down. But he seeks out people who have been hurt. Bishop Ron Webb calls them wound lickers. Not pot lickers. Let's, of course, close to it. But wound lickers. You got a lot of them that hang around here. They come in and out and come in and out. And they'll say to you, here's what they say. Can you be, I'll just pick on you because you, I love to pick on you anyway. Say, oh sister, <laughs> you have a right to be mad at Jim Baker. He ignores everybody. <laughs> you mean, You were sick and he didn't come to your house. Poor thing. Oh, poor thing. Those are the wound lickers. Yeah, the the wound lickers, because Jim Baker didn't come to your house. Right, yeah, the wound lickers. Yeah, this is a clear, oh, this is insightful exegesis from the book of Job, you know. They want to... Make you feel sorry for yourself. See, people don't understand Leviathan. It's cunning. I'm thinking you're the one who doesn't understand what Leviathan is there in Job. People think they're spiritual because they're going around sowing discord, going around telling people, oh, I love you so much, you poor thing. You mean, oh, you mean the pastor didn't come to your house? I wish you could read my emails. Oh, my God. It it could make a book. Not an interesting book, but it would make a book. 
These wound lickers, they're charming. They might even be handsome or beautiful. Anybody ever hear of Absalom? Wake up, everybody. Absalom. David's son. Who said that? You get a a star in your crown. Did you know Absalom was considered probably the most handsome man in the Bible? Uh Oh, there we go again with the 50s. If you're beautiful or handsome, you, you have a cross to bear. Do you know what Absalom did to his daddy? He went out and sat in the gate of the city. And he told people, oh, Jim Baker. No, no, not Jim. My dad, David. Can you see me? He don't have time for you. But I do. And I'm so handsome. I'm so wonderful. Tell your friends to come see me. When you come to the city, you'll never get in to see daddy. Just come. I'm here right here at the gate. I come out to greet you. Hello! This isn't even lucid. I mean, apparently now Absalom is uh, a, a wound licker, you know, acting on the promptings of the Leviathan spirit. I, I had no idea. Absalom! Absalom! Went throughout the whole city telling them, I love you. I'm the good one. I'm the nice boy. Absalom, the one who tried to overthrow his own father. If you want to know what the Leviathan spirit is, go study Absalom. See what Absalom has done. He stole the hearts of the people. Did you read that in the Bible? I don't have time to go there. Look it up. Stole the hearts. Every ministry I had ever had, there's always a few absolutes around who's trying to take over the leadership because they can't build their own ministry. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a little bit more about what's really going on here. Apparently, sounds like somebody there at uh, Jim Bake at the Jim Baker show um, was being an Absalom, maybe betrayed Jim, something like that. I mean, so he's found a text, the Leviathan spirit. Now, I mean, it, this sounds like he's preaching from something biographical recently, maybe. Yeah. So they come to try to steal somebody else's. And that's how I lost Heritage USA. Somebody said, oh, Jim, I love you. I'm going to help you. Yeah, they did. They helped themselves and destroyed one of the largest ministries in the world because I was stupid. Um, didn't you go to prison? Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. I believed and trusted them because they were leaders. You will know them by their fruit. Yeah, and uh, Matthew 7, uh, verse 16, where Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. He's referring to false teachers, and you know them by their 
false doctrine, which is what this is. Not their good looks. Not their talent. What fruit? We, we, I taught this a while back. The fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love. No, no, no. That's the wrong reference. To know them by their fruits would be their false doctrine. That's what Jesus is referring to there. I think you get the point. Wow, that was uh, some really interesting preaching that we heard from uh, Jim Baker. Yeah, the wound lickers of the Leviathan spirit. <laughs> Just, that's something I never thought I'd ever hear anybody talk about. Uh, but then again, you can't really... Um, make this stuff up anymore it's just become really crazy so what do you think i'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fighting or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back a sermon from audacious church adventure awaits again what do you do when God doesn't pick you. I mean, how do you carry on with your dream destiny thingy? Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Ani's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time.
The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Audacious Church, Manchester in the United Kingdom. Paul Reed presiding, and what do you do when God doesn't pick you? I mean, everybody knows the dream destiny thingy is an important doctrine. But what happens if you don't get picked? (laughs) Well, apparently Paul Reed's going to try to figure that out for us. And it's through a very interesting twisting of God's word that he figures out what to do when God doesn't pick you. Yeah, it's it's a total mess is the best way I could describe it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Paul Reed and his sermon titled Adventure Awaits Again. Here we go looking for the last few weeks on this amazing series called Adventure Awaits and we know it's the theme of our conference and we've learned so much. God's message to us has been so clear and so powerful. We've heard from the heroes of the Bible, the patriarchs and the matriarchs as Pastor Chris Hill, last year's conference speaker would call them. We've heard from these amazing people, not so much about their adventure, but on the pre-adventure bit. What you do before it comes. We've heard about Mary and Elisha and Hannah and Gideon and others. And I really have been uh, impacted by this series. And in my own personal uh, devotions, some of us call it a quiet time. There's never any quiet time in my house, so it's not very quiet. But, but, uh, but my own time with God, and when I became a Christian at 16, I made a commitment to God that I would try every day to give him my attention at the start of the day, to, to pray or read my Bible. And I've tried with everything I've got to keep that promise to God. And uh, I, I read these verses in Acts chapter 1. Is it okay if we get straight into it? Are you coming with me? All right, in Acts chapter 1 it says this, and this is talking about the disciples, Jesus' best friends, his crew, the people that slept next to him, the people that ate with him and and worked with him and were there for the miracles. And this is post the crucifixion, post the part of the Easter story that we all know where Jesus died on the cross and then defeated death and came back to life. And basically, they're in a situation because Jesus was crucified because one of their own betrayed him. And what we're at here is the situation where they're choosing a new member of the crew. This is the ultimate picking teams moment. Remember when you're at school and you would all line up against the fence and there would be two team captains and we'd go, I'll take you, Darren, you're good at football. I'll take you, Stu, you can just tackle people at the neck just kill them, stuff like that. We, you know, we're just picking teams moment. This is that moment. And when I read it, God spoke to me about what to share with you tonight. My message tonight is called... Notice, God spoke to him. Well, yeah, this is an important message. This, this comes all the way from the top, man. God wants you to hear this message, apparently. Okay. Adventure awaits again. Let me share this verse with you, and it may leave you a little bit confused, as it did me, but it says in verse 23, so they appointed, so they nominated rather, two men, Joseph and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas has left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. 
So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, when I read that, I thought, yay for him. Not so much for the other guy. Joseph, this guy who didn't get picked. My message tonight is called Adventure Awaits Again. What do you do when you don't get picked? Oh no, what are we going to do? And notice who didn't do the picking. Yeah, God is the one who didn't pick poor Joseph. Oh man, what are we going to do? And I began to think about the areas of my life and really replay in my mind the conversations that I have in my office with different people uh, throughout the week. And God began to speak to me. Not through the written word, apparently. What do you do when you don't get picked? What do you do when you miss it? What do you do when the opportunity is right there in front of you? The adventure awaits moment is there, but something happens and you don't do it. You don't get it. It passes you by. You make a decision that takes you the wrong direction or worse than that, someone else makes a decision that takes it away from you and you're left. Imagine the scene as they're all carrying Matthias off on the shoulders. They're chucking him up in the air. And Joseph is at the other end going, "Uh, guys. And so I began to thumb through the book of Acts because I felt a conviction. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody knows that the, the, the dream destiny thingy is an important integral part of Christianity. Joseph wasn't picked. Matthias was. So we, I'm sure Joseph shows up later in the in, in the New Testament, right? Right? I mean, adventure awaits the dream destiny, you know? He, he didn't get picked. What happened to Joseph? The adventure awaits again. So I thought there must be, you know, a resolve to this story. And I began to thumb through the book of Acts going, there's a moment when Joseph comes back in a blaze of glory and kind of does something powerful, but he's not in there. Notice the assumption. Uh-huh. That should tell you the dream destiny thingy is not a biblical doctrine. It troubled me greatly. I said, God, what is it? Then I started thinking about the other times in the Bible where people got picked and other people didn't. There's famous ones, isn't there? From the Old Testament, if you know the Bible, you'll know about David. He was the youngest brother that was out in the fields when they lined up all the people, the candidates for the next king and the... Bible says that they chose David and everyone celebrated. And we don't really hear about the brothers again, except in a negative context. They just keep getting it wrong. So I thumbed through the Bible, couldn't find any resolve with those guys. I thought about Joseph, the guy that got chose by the, 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 the finger of God to be a dreamer. And his brothers, his other brothers. There's a few stories and we know that there's some good things that happen, but no resolve. And I saw I went... Yeah, I know, it's so weird. It's like God only picked a small number of people. Oh no, this doesn't fit with my dream destiny thingy doctrine. To God, I said, God, show me what it is. And all I could think about was this conviction. And I need you to come with me on this journey. The adventure awaits again. What do you do when you don't get picked? I believe God wants to speak to us tonight. Some of us who maybe we went for a job interview. 
You went for a job interview and you were convinced that this was it. This was the adventure awaits a moment. And you were, you were convinced. You even said, I feel like this is a God thing. But then you didn't get it. I want to say to you tonight, if you're unemployed, you're looking for a job and things haven't gone your way, adventure awaits again, even in that area. Come on, I'm speaking to you if you've... you've t- yeah, but you're not speaking from God's word. What do you mean adventure awaits again? Where does God's word promise that? Tried being in a relationship. You found someone. They were the one. You even said, but I think God is in this, which is what boys say. (laughs) When they want to go on a date, I feel the Lord has spoke to me about you. And that we shall go to McDonald's and split the bill in Jesus' name. (laughs) And you said, he said, I found him. I found the one, God's family. And for some reason, it didn't work out. Let me tell you, in the area of relationships, even if they've broken down, I've got to say there's a faith in me that says adventure awaits again. Maybe even, and I know this is sensitive, but even in your marriage, you've even said, you know, this is not working, or I don't know if this is going to pan out right. Listen, adventure awaits again in your marriage. You stepped out in faith. You chose a certain college course or university course. You, you tried starting a business. And, and I know that, you know, we, we kind of get on with our lives and we've got thick skin and we, we, we kind of get on with it. But I, I, in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to bring those things that you've said, well, I've, nothing's going to happen in this area. You've actually accepted that in that area... It's over. I missed it. The adventure was waiting. It came and it went and it's gone. I'm going to invite you to bring those things to the altar. And we're going to declare before God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that adventure awaits again. Uh, So you're going to declare before God that adventure awaits again without any biblical text that even teaches this concept. Really? I said, God, you've got to show me something in your word, otherwise I've just got my good ideas and that's not going to help anybody. Problem is, we think in straight lines, don't we? Time is linear to us. It's like a straight line going from one side to the next. We, you know, day upon day, upon week, upon year. And if you think about time like that, then the opportunity that you missed... The moment where the God lottery, in your perception, chose somebody else instead of you. Every day that goes by, you get further and further away from it. But I've got to tell you, that's not how God thinks. It's not how God works. It's not how God operates. He's not contained or restrained by time in the same way that you and I are. The truth is, you're not contained or restrained by time in that way either. Because Jesus... Jesus is and was awesome. If you want to find out kind of something, if you want to read something exciting, read the Gospels, the the first four books of the New Testament about Jesus and the way he was when he walked the earth. He would say things like this. He'd say, a time is coming and has come. And then he would say, you know, and the Father is is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth, but no one's listening because they're all going, what? Is it coming or has it come? I, I, I actually don't know what you're saying. 
Because Jesus... Yeah, you just stuck that in the biblical text. Nobody ever said that in response to what Jesus said. The time is coming and has now come. That's a way of talking about something being fulfilled. Yeah, you're you're now monkeying with things in the text in order to make God's word fit with your theology of the dream destiny thingy. Yeah, what do you do? Adventure waits! But then God picked somebody else and didn't pick me. Now what do I do? Uh-huh. Yeah, so now we're going to do some strange thing with time. Well, you think of time linearly, but Jesus said the time is coming and now is. See, there's something weird going on with the time-space continuum thingy. So you can have an adventure awaits dream destiny thingy. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is what we call grasping at exegetical straws. wasn't contained or... Restricted by time in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, and a thousand years... Right, so stop thinking linearly. ...as a day. God isn't late. Come on, church, God isn't late. Uh, again, what Peter said is not in the context of the doctrine that you're teaching. The doctrine you're teaching is nowhere found in Scripture. He isn't late with his promise in the same way that... You might measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end, capital E. Because he doesn't want anybody lost. He's giving everybody space and time to change. Adventure awaits again. Time is not linear. This isn't the way to explain it, but it's the best way that I can come up with pictorially. It's more like a line that goes round like a spiral going upwards. And if you imagine the breakthrough, the opportunity that God has for your life is here, and you miss it, but as you're walking, you're not walking further away from it, you're just circling it. You can go for a whole year and still be just as close to the opportunity that God has for you than you, than you were a year ago. Right, yeah, because time is like a spiral staircase. See, you're not farther away from your dream yet, you're just circling it. Uh-huh, no biblical text says this. This doctrine that he just gave us came out of his head, not the Bible. But instead we trudge through our lives, waving at the opportunity as if we missed it. When God's saying all the while, no, you're not even walking away from it. You think you are, but you're not. Just keep going. That's the famous story in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, where they walked around the city. Nothing happened for six days. Nothing. Oh, yeah. See, they walked around the city for six days. You see the city of Jericho. See, that means you're just walking around your dream destiny, too. You're close. You're close. Don't give up. Adventure awaits again. Total twisting of Joshua chapter 6. If they were walking in a straight line away from the city for six days, they'd be forgiven for thinking, I don't... Don't think we're quite going to crack it from over here, lads. But six days had gone by and they were no further away from the miracle than when they first started. And that's the... Notice he didn't actually read out Joshua 6. He just twisted it to fit his doctrine. Message for you tonight. Adventure awaits again. God took me to the book of Daniel... To a story about three boys. You may have heard of them. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These boys have 
a moment where they're lined up for adventure. They're there positioned to be selected and they don't get picked. What are you talking about? They were exiles. They were part of the remnant that survived the sacking of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And you basically have painted their life as they were at, at the, on the cusp of an adventure, but God didn't pick them? What? Let me read it to you and, 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 and go through. We haven't got time to read the whole story, so you're going to have to enjoy a bit of the PRV tonight. Not the NIV, but the PRV, the Paul Reed version. I'm just going to dip in and out. In chapter 1, it says about a big group of boys, it says they were from the royal family. This is Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. So they were, they were important people. They were nobility. They were young men, double threat. They were young and important. They were healthy, triple threat. Handsome, quadruple. Intelligent, quintuple. Well educated. I don't want to say what that is. Good prospects for leadership in the government. In fact, the Bible says they were perfect specimens. After three years of training, they would have been given positions in the king's court. I take my glasses off because they're steamed up, not because I can see any better. After three years of training, they would be given positions in the king's court. In the NIV, it says this. After that, they were to enter the king's service. Four young men from Judah, their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them new names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Daniel chapter 2 comes next and there's a moment where these four boys that are on a level playing field, all young, all good looking, all healthy, all intelligent, all positioned well for prospects of leadership within the kingdom. They're all lined up with the chests out, looking good, feeling good. They made it into the selection process. They're through to the next round. They've gone past the judges' houses. They've done the whole thing. And then the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 that the king has a dream. I love this idea in the Old Testament. The kings are just basically big babies. So many times in the Old Testament, the king's like, "Where I had a bad dream. Yeah, that's not how Daniel 2 shakes out at all. All right, so the way he set it up, he just kind of glossed over Daniel chapter 1 and set the stage that, oh, these guys were up-and-comers. They were being trained for high-level positions within the royal court. And then Daniel chapter 2 happened. Uh Uh-huh. And the the king had a dream. Well, I had a bad dream. No. And so we're going to preempt him here. We'll take a look at Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. His sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, may you live forever. Tell your servants the dream. We will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, 
the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupting words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except for the gods, whose dwelling is not with, the, with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions, that would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanter, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. What will be, uh, what will be in the latter days? Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. 
to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone, the, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell, you the king, tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and, sh and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone was cut from a mountain, by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So now you've read, I've read out to you all of chapter 2, the story of the dream, how uh, Nebuchadnezzar insisted that the wise men tell him the dream and its interpretation so that he would know that they were not lying, how God 
revealed the dream and its interpretation to Daniel after they prayed for God to be merciful, and the reaction. And you'll notice here, I'm going to point this out, and this is something you need to pay attention to in the sermon review. Daniel was made the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon, and he made a request, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They became high officials in the Babylonian government. All right? Now, Daniel had the highest spot, but they still received really good appointments as a result of God intervening and hearing their prayer to be merciful to them. So that's going to play into this sermon that we're reviewing. And um, yeah, Paul Reed not really doing a good job here because he's too busy. He doesn't have enough time, you know, to actually read out what the Bible says. We continue. And the babysitter comes in, you know, Joseph's going, all right, all right. Shh, 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 shh. I've got the interpretation. Do you want some milk? The king has a bad dream. And have these four boys all lined up, all positioned, equally ready to answer. I don't know if Daniel gives them a nudge or he, he kind of ties the shoelaces together so they can't go. But in that moment, Daniel steps forward and he interprets the king's dream, smashes it out of the park. Every- yeah, you left out all of the important stuff. And notice the setup. All, all these four boys, all equals up at this, up to this point. Everyone's like, wow. Daniel, what a legend, you're so awesome. Chapter 2, verse 48 says this, the king promoted Daniel to a high position. Not only am I waiting for you to catch up, also my breath. The king promoted Daniel to a high position in the kingdom, lavished him with gifts and made him a governor over the entire province of Babylon and the chiefs in charge of all the wise men. And then at Daniel's request, they appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to administrative posts. Notice what he did there, okay? Because this has got to fit into his, his theology. So administrative posts, oh man, they got the bottom of the barrel. That's not how the, the text reads. He's twisting this text because, oh, this text is teaching you. Oh, adventure awaits again. What happens when you don't? Get picked. Daniel got picked. And those poor guys, they they ended up in the mail room. That's not what the text says. What the text says is that Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Yeah. These were important, high posts, not lowly posts. Nonsense, ridiculous, meaningless posts, at least in the case of the uh, the administration there. Yeah, Paul reads twisting Daniel now. Can you imagine? Daniel gets appointed the main man. It's like being the president, the prime minister, the, 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 the second in command out of all the kingdom. The king doesn't even give him a job. And Daniel says, okay, guys, there's a job for you in the mailroom. And Shadrach, Meshach. No, that's not at all. They were put over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They were not in the mailroom. And Abednego, in this moment, going into chapter 3, which is their true adventure awaits moment, they respond to being excluded, overlooked, left out, not bothered with, uh, you know, comparing themselves to Daniel, coming up short. They respond in such a way. 
that brought faith in my spirit that adventure awaits again. You see, there's two ways you can go when you feel excluded. When you feel left out, when you feel like, why didn't they pick me? Why is God blessing that person and not me? Why are things, you know, doing this, that and the other? There's two ways you can go. You can either react. There's no account of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego saying they feel like they've been excluded. Which is normally the first thing that comes into your head and heart. It's emotional, it's destructive, and it takes you on a downward spiral, not further away from the miracle, like I've just explained. You're not further away, but you're spiraling downwards, and the chance of you having the awareness of God to be able to notice that the breakthrough is right there gets less and less and less. And my chair in my office is sometimes has people in it, and I'm talking to them about their life as if it's something that happened against them. And they're reacting to life as if it's something that happened to them instead of recognizing that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can respond in such a way that kickstarts a spiral that's positive and moving forward. And the breakthrough is right in front of you. If you would just. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not waiting for some future breakthrough after chapter two. What are you talking about? Just look up for a moment. Essentially, what I'm talking about is what do you do in the goo? Pastor Sof, uh, earlier this year, preached an amazing message and talked about the goo. This is the goo moment for these boys. Pastor Glynn referred to it as the lag. And I think we all want to hear that again. How do you navigate the lag? How do you say lag in a mink? Lag. How do you navigate the lag? There it is. I actually didn't think Pastor Glenn was going to be here tonight, but sorry, I couldn't resist that. (laughs) Chapter 3, the king builds a massive gold statue and he makes it compulsory that at a certain point during the day, when the sirens go off, when there's a symphony of noise, everybody has to bow down and worship the statue. So every day at the same point. Notice again, he's not reading the biblical text. He's just giving us his summary of it. A signal was given, and everybody knew you had to stop what you were doing and bow down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on, thank God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Church, even in their overlooked state in the mailroom where... They were not in the mailroom, they were not overlooked, they were made... Let me read it again from the text. They were appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They weren't overlooked and they were not working the mailroom. Where no one really counts and everybody sort of went, oh, I can't believe you've not moved on from that. You know, in that moment, they... Nobody was saying that about them. They responded in an incredible way. They said, no, we're not going to bow down. And of course, the authorities that the king had empowered to kind of police this issue, they grasped them up to the king and the king was furious. And so he got them in front of him in the throne room and he was crazy mad at them, started shouting at them and said, I'm going to give you one more chance. You can bow down if you do it right now. But in verse 16, here's their response. And this is where we're going to land our thoughts for this message. And in a few moments, we're going to open up the altar and I'm going to give you a chance to take your job, your marriage, whatever it might be, where you've declared over it, it's dead, it's not going to work, I've just got to move on, it's not for me, and we're going to put them in front of the king, and we're going to say, adventure awaits again. Oh, man. You're going to declare that because of your twisting of the story of Daniel. Wow. Verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The Bolton accent version. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, that was the punishment. If you didn't bow down to this statue, you were killed. You were murdered by basically thrown into a ginormous oven. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. And we won't worship the image of gold that you've set up. The king was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. His attitude, in fact, changed towards them. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up and throw them into the furnace. These men wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot and the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the fire. The king leapt to his feet in amazement. Come on, church. The king leapt to his feet in amazement and he said, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I can see four men walking around. I said, I could see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. Yeah, Jesus showed up to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's true. The king then approached the opening of the furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. Come here, let me see you. And so they came out of the fire. The other leaders crowded around them and they saw that the fire hadn't harmed their bodies. The hair wasn't singed, the robes weren't scorched, there was no smell of fire on them. The king said, praise God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied my command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship the God any God except their own God. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation, language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. There's the baby king again, overreacting. And no other God can save in this way. Verse 30 says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There was a moment where they got overlooked, they didn't get picked. No, actually, they got pretty important uh, assignments. Yeah, they did. But verse 30 was always coming. There was an appointment in the diary of God. There was a divine appointment, just like the... Seriously, Jesus shows up to save them from the fiery furnace, and the thing you're keying in on is their promotion. You've misconstrued their original appointment. They get a promotion after Jesus saves them from the fiery furnace, and you're creating a theology out of your misreading of this text. No mention of them feeling like they were overlooked at all. They were, if Jesus hadn't have shown up, the text would have said, thus perished Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you're turning this into, oh, look, see, they were overlooked. And, God, and then they finally got a promotion. Talk about missing the forest for a tree. And not only that, you twisted the scripture to come up with this narrative and you missed the whole point. There is for us in the next seven days, there was a divine appointment. And the way, 
The way Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego just kept on walking around the opportunity saying, okay, we didn't get picked, but let's just respond in a way that will take us on an upward spiral meant that verse 13... Respond in a way that will take us up in an upward spiral? They nearly lost their lives. What are you talking about? He came and all they had to do was just step right into it. Easy as pie. I say easy as... Right, step right into it. Yeah, step right into the fiery furnace first... Yeah, it was a piece of cake, that promotion, yeah. Th- this guy's on drugs. Pie, they got set on fire, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> How do you respond when you don't get picked? Well, you ask God for some clarity, that's what you do. I mean, they had the names changed. I mean, they would be forgiven for thinking, you know, everything's bad. It's easy when you get overlooked to exaggerate, isn't it? And we feel left out, or we didn't get picked, or, you know, God's doing something over there, but not over here. It's easy to exaggerate. We use exclusive words like never and always. Nothing good ever happens to me. I always try, and it never works out. Truth is, you don't always try. You sometimes try, and sometimes it works out. But we say, I always try, and it never works out. Tip for marriage, when you're having a row, don't use those words. I always put the bin out. You never put the bin out. When you feel left out, you exaggerate. Their names have been changed. Something about these boys made them just go, call me what you want. Meshach, Mishael, both sounds like girls' names anyway. (laughs) Call me Bob, call me Tom DeCarrere. I literally don't care because I am going to keep walking around this thing until the adventure that I know has always been awaiting for me comes. They never said anything of the sort. These were men who were exiled from their homeland, saw their relatives being slaughtered, were chosen by God's grace, you know, and and to, to be in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, which was a dicey proposition because they were all pagan idol worshippers, nearly cost them their life. And you've turned this into some kind of a story about suburbanites who are climbing the corporate ladder. That's not what was going on here right back round to where it is and if I don't get it that time I'll just go around again it doesn't make any difference to me because I'm not getting any further away from the breakthrough because it's right there the Bible teaches us that the word of God is in you it's in your mouth this is narcissistic total nonsense don't exaggerate let's make a commitment that if we ever exaggerate with each other we'll go that was me trying to open my eyes really wide Adventure awaits again. Live with a bit of conviction. I mean, it's famous if you know this story. But did you pick up what they said? They said, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. I mean, talk about stay in your lane. The Bible says that the fire was so hot that the people that were leading them, or I guess pushing them towards the fire, were burst into flames and died anyway. What happened at that point? They were leading them to the fire. Then they died. And then there was an awkward moment where they were like, they're not in the furnace yet. The guys pushing them are like, rolling around. And I just think these three looked at each other and just went, 
Fine. <laughs> this is how confident we are. In a bit. <laughs> Jumped in. They weren't propelled by their circumstances. I mean, they were for a moment because they were pushing them. They were compelled by something internal called the Holy Spirit, called Jesus that lives in us by the Holy Spirit. They were compelled. And so when the the boys that were putting them in, you know, died, they just thought, well, we'll just do it anyway because we weren't doing it because you were pushing us to do it. I'm not reading my Bible because I feel guilty if I don't. I'm not praying because I want more prayer points than the person next to me in my life. I love Jesus because I'm compelled on the inside. What do you do when you don't get picked? You're not propelled by that disappointment. You're compelled by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And let me just tell you this amazing thing that God showed me. It says that the king... Uh, Amazing. There's nothing amazing about the sermon. And no, if you're going to blame this on God... That's just utter blasphemy, dude. So mad, he turned the temperature of the furnace up so it was seven times hotter. But in Daniel chapter 1, it says at the end of the time of testing, the king found these boys to be ten times better. And life can turn up the temperature. And it can be one times, two times, five times, seven times hotter. But when you live compelled by the Holy Spirit, you're always ten times better anyway. Yeah, no, that's not a promise. You've turned it into one, but it isn't. Turn up the temperature as much as you want. Lost my job, that's a real thing that happens and I feel it. But I'm ten times better anyway. Get some compulsion inside you. The Holy Spirit must have just increased their capacity because the Bible says the king said, hang on a minute, there's four men and they're walking around unbound and unharmed. Come on, you've got the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to be walking around your life when anyone else might look in and go, oh my gosh, how are you not getting burned in there? Not only are you not... What are you talking about? Now we're allegorizing the fire to be a difficult circumstance in my present life. (sighs) Getting burned. You're just walking around unbound, unharmed by this whole scenario. My prayer every day is, Holy Spirit, increase my capacity because life's going to turn up the temperature. But I tell you what, I'm not affected by that more than, I am affected by it, but not more than I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. They made, they made communion their home, that's what they did. It says they were walking around, three of them, but there was a fourth man, Jesus. King says, looks like a son of the gods. I would say to you that it was the son of the God. It was Jesus himself. And if you don't... Yeah, it was. You don't know what to do. You get overlooked. You get excluded. It seems to you like you've been left out and everyone's moved on except you. Make Jesus, communion with Jesus, your home. Making your home, not just visit him every now and again when, when you know, things aren't... What are you talking about? going well or or things are going well but just like the theme of the stay book stay in God steer clear of offence Bible says when they came out there wasn't even a smell of fire on them 
Well, singed, no, no black marks. In fact, you couldn't even smell it. You know when someone's disappointed, you can tell. Because their words, their body language, their decisions, their actions, it all smells like disappointment. It all sounds like something's not gone right, but there's... Right, the smell of smoke equals the smell of disappointment. Where did you go to seminary? Seriously. An ability in God to go through the fire, come out the other side, and you wouldn't even know. Not that we keep ourselves kind of locked up and we're not vulnerable and accountable with people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being able to walk through the fire and come out the other side and you don't even smell like disappointment. You don't even smell like disappointment. Hang on. Yeah, that smells like disappointment there. I'm really disappointed with this butchering of God's word. Offense is taken, never given. When you get overlooked, that's the easiest place to take offense. But if it's taken, never given, just don't take it. Now, I know that that's easy to say. But we need a shift in our thinking. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In the message, it puts it this way. Smart people know how to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and forget. Simple message tonight. Help me out, Leslie. Is that adventure awaits again. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience as they get ready to make decisions. The decision to embrace Adventure again, or something nonsensical like that. What do you do when you feel overlooked? You don't react. You don't just do the first thing that comes into your heart and mind, but you recognize as a person of faith that you can take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, I want to respond in such a way to this that is real, that does hurt, that does exist, that can rob me. But I want to respond in such a way that I'm kick-starting an upward spiral. And when you look back in your life, you don't look back to a moment and say, that's where everything went wrong. You say, that's where everything went right. What? Everything went right when you didn't get what you want? Yep. Everything went right when it didn't work out how you thought it was? Yeah, it did. Why? Because it forced me to respond in God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe there's a promotion on the horizon for you tonight. And if you would just take a moment, hit the pause button. So apparently there's a promotion coming because he twisted the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which means God's making a promise to promote you too. No. And go to that place in God where maybe you haven't been for some time. Maybe you have, I don't know. But if we could find that moment, and I really believe this week at Audacious Conference is going to be that moment for so many people. People who'd been going down the spiral so much they didn't even realize. They feel miles away from God. They feel miles away from the opportunity. They've said, my marriage is over. They've said, my business failed. They've said, this didn't work. I'm not going for another job interview because I didn't get it. We're going to take them 
And I believe right now tonight we can kickstart it. We can be the leaders for this conference this week. We can respond tonight. So all across the place, why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to sing a worship song together. But while we do, I want you to do something really significant. If you've said about things of your life, I've I've blown it, I've messed it up, I've, I've given up on that. But tonight you know because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you've got a conviction that adventure awaits again. No, the Holy Spirit is not telling these people that. You are. You're just blaming it on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said nothing even remotely approaching this. Maybe you don't have it, but you want it. You're like, I, want, I hear what you're saying, but I don't have that yet. Well, I believe in this moment now, this simple act, God is going to break through. He's going to give you that promise. Like Pastor Levi talked about this morning, a promise and a picture. So all across the place, why don't you close your eyes? And as we sing this worship song. Done. What a train wreck. Yeah, total butchering of God's word. Yeah, what? Yeah, we got to make the scriptures fit our dream destiny thingy doctrine. So adventure awaits again. What do you do when you're not picked? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were working in the mailroom in Babylon. And then God promoted them. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I cannot believe that anyone would hear this and think that it's actually what God's word says or that this is a word from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had nothing to do with this. This was deception from beginning to end, narcissistically so. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.